Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Authentic series, which walks through the book of James, discovering how we can be a growing and maturing Christian. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Let's turn over to James 1. And uh, I love this passage of scripture. I love the book of James. And uh, this passage really stems right out of what Pastor preached last week. Um, if you were not here last week, you can read the like, you know, five or so verses that come before uh, verse 17, uh, but really stemming from James' admonition to the Christians of, hey, you have. Uh, this temptation, this sin that Satan wants to use to destroy you. And there is the seed of temptation that when it takes root, then comes sin. And sin, when it fully matures, it brings death. And so there's that picture of a seed that's planted and then it grows and then it matures and, uh, and there comes that fruit, that fruit there being death. And now James does kind of a polar opposite picture of, okay, if you plant the sin, uh, if you plant the seed of temptation, you're going to get this plant and this fruit. But now he gives us the opposite, the good side. He says, okay, don't give into temptation. Temptation will come. But as pastor talked about, the temptation itself isn't a sin. Jesus was tempted yet without sin. And so when temptation comes, we can say no to it. But I believe James here in this passage really shows us that the best way to say no to temptation is by focusing on the kind of plant, on the kind of seed that God wants us to grow in our lives. Let's pray, and we will dive right into this passage and look at uh, the kind of growth that God wants to happen in our life. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you so much for today, and God, we ask that uh, as we spend this time in your word, that you would be glorified, Lord, that you would speak to hearts, and uh, God, I ask that you would help me um, to communicate clearly uh, what you've spoken to me about this week, and God, we ask that uh, you would just allow uh, your word to have full reign in our hearts, and uh, God, that we wouldn't allow any distractions, um, anything coming up in the week, or anything uh, that would cloud our minds right now. We ask that you would clear all of that away, and that we would focus on you and on your word, and God, we ask that you'd be glorified today. Pray all this in your name. Amen. So the very first thing that James talks about here is that we need to realize the seed that's been planted. So he's just spent all of this time talking about the seed of temptation, grows up into a plant of sin. The fruit of it is death. But he says there is a different seed that has already been planted in your life as a believer in Christ. And he says this, every good gift And every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He starts in here, every good gift 
and every perfect gift is from above. So he's, he's just talked about death, do not err, my beloved brethren. And then there comes kind of what seems like an abrupt change. He says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So kind of as opposed to the sin and the death that comes from underneath, as we would phrase it, uh, we would talk about going down to the grave or down to hell. On, on the contrary part, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. When he says this, every good gift, these are two different words in Greek. Uh, this first one would be the act or the initiation of giving. And every perfect gift would be the actual gift itself. So kind of as a word picture here, uh, every good gift, he would say, uh, the giving or the wrapping or the bag that God gives is good. But every perfect gift, you might think if I'm giving you a book, uh, maybe for birthday or for Christmas, I would give it to you in a bag, and we, I would say, hey, I, I got you a gift. Well, that outer part of it isn't the actual gift itself, unless you're my son, in which case that's what you want to play with and not the actual gift inside. But he says, hey, the, the wrapping that it comes in, the, the giving that God has, the wrapping is good and the gift itself is good. What comes from God is good, both the packaging and the present. Unlike the evil that comes from temptation, that packaging of sin and the present of death. And he says, every gift is from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Uh, when it's talking about lights here, it's talking about the heavens or space, the stars and the planets up in the sky. And it says, with God, there is no variableness. There's no change in position and there's no shadow of turning. There's no change in, its, in his composition or in his character. What he's saying here is that the heavenly bodies change their positions and their appearances to us constantly. But the God who made them never changes. So he says, everything you can see up in the sky, God made all of it. And even though it may change and it may move its positions, sometimes you'll have a full moon or a half moon or, or a quarter moon. He says, even though those things might all change, you can trust that God gives you good and perfect gifts and that everything about it is good, unlike everything that comes from temptation and sin and death. And then he says in verse 18, of his own will begot he us with the word of truth. This word begot is kind of an older word that means to bring forth. It's, it's to bring into the world. And what he's saying here is the fact that you are saved of his own will begot he us with the word of truth. The fact you are saved is not an accident, mistake, or oversight. God intentionally brought you into his family using his gospel to speak to your heart. And there where he says uh, that he begot us with the word of truth. That's that seed that was planted in us. That now we have become children of God. And it is by design. God didn't see you get saved and go, oh man, I really was not hoping Noah would get saved. Or like it's, yeah, like it's okay that he got saved. No, God intentionally brought you into his family. 
He died for you. He thought of you when he was on the cross. And he has planted that seed of his word in you. And then he continues with kind of this planting analogy. He says that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That would be the initial harvest that would come. Just as the seed of temptation matures into eventual death, the seed of God's truth and God's word is now maturing the believer into new life, becoming part of God's great harvest. And one of the things that really struck me when I read this verse of us being a first fruits of his creatures is that God fully expects that the word that he planted in us, we would use to plant in the lives of other people. That we are not the fruit of God's harvest, but we are the first fruits. And that we would lead others to know God. So he says there, realize the seed that's been planted, which is God's word, God's gospel given to you. But then in verses 19 through 21, he he gives this admonition of you need to weed out the hindrances to your growth. If the seed of God's word has been planted in you and you realize, I know Jesus, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven. There should be an appreciation and there should be a desire to tell other people. But then in these next verses, he says, hey, there are going to be some hindrances for your spiritual growth. As as that seed of God's word is taking root in your life and is maturing you to be more like Christ, there are some things that will not help you to be more like Christ. He says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. See there again, he's talking about that engrafted or that implanted word. But here in verse 19, he he says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be. This is an imperative command, and uh, ladies, I'm sorry, it's not just for the men. It's for every believer, man and woman. Everyone is to be swift to hear. Uh, The Pharisees had a saying back in these days that every person is given two ears, but only one mouth. So we should do twice as much listening as we do speaking, And I don't know about you, a lot of times I fail in that area. Many of us want to, uh, as we'll read a little later, we want to be slow to hear, swift to speak. But James here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells these believers, hey, if you're going to allow God's word to do what it needs to do in your life, you need to be swift to hear. And I love this word's the same word that is used in Mark 16 when it says, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, from Jesus's tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. Just as fast as you can imagine, Peter and John, or maybe uh, the women that came to the tomb, just as fast as you can imagine them leaving the tomb to go tell everyone that Jesus was risen, That's how fast we need to be to listen. 
Now, listening is something that's not often valued in our society today. We are all expected to have a foolproof opinion on everything. The internet has given us all knowledge, and so we must speak to every subject, everything. But James here gives great advice to us even today. Be swift to hear. Too often we rush to tell ourselves and others what we should do, rather than rush to listen to God to see what he tells us to do. And man, there's a huge difference there. And uh, specifically in the, in the context of this passage, he says, hey, don't, don't just rush to run your mouth. He'll, he'll talk later in chapter three about the dangers of our tongue. But he's saying here, hey, listen. Listen to God's word. Listen to the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. Listen to God's word instead of just rushing to speak. And that leads right into the next point of be slow to speak. There is value in not saying everything that comes to mind. My dad would constantly say, uh, you know, some people say the phrase, oh, I just speak my mind as if it's a good thing to do, when really Proverbs would tell us that a fool uttereth all of their mind. And so it is a good thing to not constantly rush to speak. And I like this word that's used both in be slow to speak and slow to wrath. It's used in 2 Peter 3.9. It says, the Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promise, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance that we should be slow to speak. If you realize it's, it's been about 2,000 years since Christ went up, and the reason that he has not come back yet is because when he comes again, he comes in judgment. And it says that he is not slow concerning his promise, but the reason God hasn't come back is that he's not willing that any should perish. That patience, that, that slowness, that hesitancy to come back is the same kind of slowness and hesitancy and patience that we should have in our own lives when it comes to how often we run our mouths. I think of Proverbs ten nineteen that says, In the multitude of words there lacketh not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. So James says here that you need to be swift to hear, especially to hear from God's word and to hear from good, godly people, like even as we heard about this morning. But then he says, be slow to speak. Don't be constantly running your mouth. Proverbs would tell us over and over and over again that that only leads to sin. But then he says next, be slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. He says, hey, if you want to grow as a believer, you need to listen specifically to God's word. You need to be slow to speak. Don't rush to tell yourself and other people what they should do. Instead, think about it. Think about what God would have you to say. Think about what God would have you to do. And then he says here, be slow to wrath. 
This is because man's anger is self-centered. That person did me wrong. They said something about me. They looked at me funny. Uh, You know, there could be any one of a million reasons why we would be angry at someone. Our anger tends to be self-centered, while God's anger is him-centered. When God is angry, he is focused on holiness, on justice, on his vengeance, that is, his right to do as the judge of all the earth. However, when we're angry, often, uh, especially when we refuse to give our anger over to the Lord, when we refuse to do what Romans 12 says and to uh, defer our anger because to God belongs vengeance, when we are focused on our own anger and refuse to give it to God, it, it normally is about petty revenge or a personal vendetta or small slights and an, un, uh, an unwillingness to forgive others. And so James here says, don't, don't rush to be angry with people. Be slow, be, be patient, be long-suffering because the wrath of man is not going to produce the righteousness of God. This word here is uh, from the Greek word uh, ergon, uh, where we would get our, our word ergonomics, and that's efficiency in work. And James is saying here, your anger isn't going to produce godly maturity in you. Instead, it will stunt your spiritual growth. Proverbs twenty two twenty four says, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, thou shalt not go. Proverbs 29, 22 says, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. And 1 Timothy 3, 3 says of the qualifications of a bishop or a pastor that he is not to be a striker, but patient, not a brawler. Those would be actions that would come out of anger in our hearts. If we should, according to the words of scripture, if we should unfriend the angry, disqualify them from pastoring, and if uh, the angry are full of transgressions, why would we want to be them? Why would we say, I'm going to hold on to anger. I'm going to hold on to unforgiveness. I'm going to hold on to a lack of patience. James is telling them here, hey, If you're going to grow in the Lord, if you're going to allow God's word that's been planted in your life to grow in you to full maturity, then you need to be swift to hear, to listen to what God's word is saying. You need to be slow to speak. In the multitude of words, there is no lack of sin. And you need to be slow to be angry because The wrath of man, man's anger, is not going to produce. It's not going to efficiently mature you into who God wants you to be. Then in verse 21, he says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He says here, lay apart all filthiness. And this word lay apart, uh, a couple months ago in Colossians 3, uh, we learned about uh, kind of the opposite of this, of we're supposed to put on some things as children of God. This is to take off. 
He says, okay, here are some things that are naturally honest. Because of our sin nature, these are things that are going to commonly be a part of us that we need to take off. And he says here, filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Filthiness here uh, is figuratively moral impurity. He says, hey, anything that would be impure, you need to take off. The the word here would uh, be literally talking about dirt, where it says, okay, this is something that is, uh, if you will, bad soil for the word to grow in for your life. And then he says, superfluity of naughtiness. That word is an abundance. It's excess. Uh, it's an overflow. It is just the abundance of wickedness that is around us, that is in our world, uh, that through our sin nature is on us. He says, hey, you need to, if you're going to grow as a Christian, say, I'm not going to allow the world's filth and I'm not going to allow the excess, the abundance uh, of the wickedness that's in the world, I'm not going to allow that to rule me. Instead, I'm going to take off that old man and instead, as James says here, receive with meekness the word. We are to receive God's word with humility, realizing that his ways are better than our natural inclinations and ways. That's what that word meekness means in here. It's, it's a thing of humility that says, okay, if you're going to genuinely grow into a mature believer in Christ, you have to realize that your thoughts your ways, how you would seek to live your life is not necessarily the way that God sees it. And so he challenges them, hey, you're, it's going to take some humility in order to accept God's truth. But if you're going to grow, it is an absolutely necessary truth. And I'm so thankful for this end part of, okay, I have to receive the word, but man, I I hope I can conquer uh, not listening enough. I hope I can conquer my speech. I hope I can conquer my anger. I hope I can conquer, uh, you know, moral impurity and the abundance of wickedness in the world. I, I hope I can take on all of that. But when we receive the engrafted word, it says there, it is able to save our souls. And uh, if you've been in our study and stop trying, that word souls there is that same one, suke, of our life, our innermost person, how we think about the world now. He is able to cleanse us, to save us from how we used to think, from having a life that was identified by all of these other things, by talking a lot, by not listening by uh, being wicked and being angry. He says, hey, God wants to make a new you through his engrafted word. It's in you now. Not only is God's truth of the gospel in you, but the Holy Spirit's in you. And because of that, there is hope that he is able to save our souls. God's truth and new life has been placed in your life. And you have the choice to accept it and become fertile ground for God's harvest. 
It reminds me of the parable that, that Jesus said when there was the seeds that went some in good ground, some on thorny ground, some on stony ground. The challenge here is, hey, are you going to be a, a receiving, a good receptacle of God's word? So, he says here, okay, realize the gift that's been given to you. Realize the seed that's been planted. Then, weed out some of these hindrances that would keep you from growing into a mature believer. And then finally, he says, foster continual growth. He says, okay, you've got, you've got the word. God is in that sanctifying process of saving your soul. You're, you're weeding out some of these hindrances. You're, you're listening to God's word. He says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I love this word doer. It's, it's a word meaning poet or maker. The Greek word for it is literally poet s, <laughs> poetes. He says, we are not merely to intake God's truth, but live it out, allowing God to create a living poem of his grace with our life. And man, that's such a, that's such a rich word picture. Uh, I, I didn't see that at all when I was a sixth grader preaching this passage. But the picture here is incredible. It's not just, okay, uh, man, don't, don't just listen to God's word. Write out a checklist, do the checklist. He says, no, that, that's not the point. The point is, don't just listen to God's word. Don't just hear pastor preach about it. Don't just read it maybe uh, in the mornings or in the evenings. He says instead, allow God to write a beautiful poem of his grace through your life. All of it goes back to the Lord doing it. It's not something of, okay, I guess I got to do my checklist, but it's God's implanted word growing you into maturity and you're allowing him to be able to make that poem, to make that canvas, that picture of grace. And then he says, don't, don't just be a hearer of this because that is deceiving your own selves. To deceive is to delude or to trick. When we ignore the words of God, we go outside of objective truth itself and we've deluded ourselves. We are crazy if we think that there is any way to live this life outside of God. To live life that is not entirely dependent on his grace, reliant on him to write our story. Then he gives this uh, example, this illustration. If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. He beholdeth himself and, and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. He says, if we just listen to God's word nowadays, if we just read God's word and don't do anything about it, it's like looking at yourself in the mirror in the morning. You've got bed head. If you're, you know, maybe on the younger side, you've got all these pimples and whatnot. And, and uh, you know, maybe you've got some slobber or something on your face. And, and you're just, you're, you're gross. You're not put together for the day. You are not, uh, it, it, 
you know, if someone walks out of the house like that, you would go, man, that's, that's not a very mature person. Um, you know, that, that's not a person that's got their life together. Something's not quite right there. But spiritually, when we do that, when we, when we leave our house in the morning and we have not decided, man, I'm going to let God live through me today. I'm, I'm going to take these truths to heart. I'm going to allow God to grow me today in, in areas that he's talked about. And that I want to be a poem of God's grace to other people. We are just like that person that we're not being mature. We just look goofy, stupid, something's off. And so James is, is telling them this here. Hey, you're, you're looking into God's word and you're immediately forgetting what it said about you. You're forgetting how God sees you now. You're forgetting how God has told you to treat others. You're forgetting about the patience and love that Christ has for you that he now encourages you to have that same love and patience for others. But then he gives the opposite side of it. But whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This phrase here, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, it's, it's to stretch your head out to see, to, to stoop, to bend over to look. This is the, the best word picture I can do. It's you're doing this to look into God's word. It's that intentional, uh, Proverbs would use the phrase a lot, incline your ear unto wisdom. It's that intentional thing of, okay, I'm not, I'm not just great. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He must increase, I must decrease. But it's, it's this intentional thing of, okay, I know God's word has the way for me to mature. God's word has the way for my life to be something incredible, that I would be able to reach others with the gospel, that I wouldn't be where God's harvest and seed planting ends. It doesn't end with me, but it's going to continue on because I'm going to give it to others by living out his grace that's been given to me. And it's that intentional looking into God's word that says, okay, I know this is powerful. I know this has the answers. And so I'm going to believe and I'm going to pour myself into looking at the law of liberty. The law of liberty is this non-slave life that we've been given. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're, we're free from condemnation. We are free from sin. And we are completely free to live with the Lord as we were made to. There's no longer a barrier between us and God. Jesus has paid the way with his blood. And so because of that, we're never going to go to hell. According to Romans chapter 6, even though we, we struggle with the flesh, because we've been crucified with Christ, we can see victory over sin in our life. And now we are free uh, I love that passage in 2 Corinthians 3 where, where Paul says as we look into the, the word of the Lord, we see him face to face and through his glory we are changed into the same image. It's, it's an amazing passage. I'd encourage you to read it either tonight or tomorrow morning. We are now free. 
the only way to grow from immature slavery to sin is to focus on the new freedom in Christ that we learn about in his word. And we completely get the wrong idea. Uh, I, I keep referencing stop trying. We completely get the wrong idea when we think, okay, I just have to do my traditional identity thing of, okay, checking all these boxes. No, the, the point is you're free. Whatever you do, you are free in Christ. And, and that doesn't motivate us to go and sin because that's what you've been freed from. But now you are free to lovingly serve your God. You're free to love others and to treat them with the same love that you've been given. You're, you're free to know God himself. You're free to ha- have him as your portion. You have been given this new law of liberty. And it says when we, when we look into that, when we peer into it, when we soup over and we continue in it. Word continueth is, is to remain, to persevere. Um, and again, this isn't a thing of, okay, man, I, I can only be blessed if I, if I read the Bible and I just keep on doing it and I keep on doing it and I keep on doing it. No, it's, it's as we look into the law of liberty, as we see what we've been given in Christ and, and we focus on that and we stay there and we realize, okay, everything I need has been accomplished by Christ. All of my examples for how I am to live my life have been given to me in Christ and, and I can even have brothers and sisters in Christ as we heard about this morning who are following God and I can draw them near to me and I can learn more about how to follow God even from them. We must remain in the truth of God's liberty, not leave it and deceive ourselves. And then he says here in the end of the verse, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And that phrase in there is in his doing, as he is doing that, looking into the law of liberty and continuing to look into the law of liberty, he is blessed in that action. In the action of living out the law of liberty, we receive the Father's blessing. And man, that's an encouragement. Because it's not, okay, after you have done all of the perfect law of liberty, after you've observed it and remained in it, and, and once you've completed that action, then you can get God's blessing. No, it's as we look, we receive God's blessing. It's as we continue to look and to live and to rely on our Father, we receive his blessing. That in the very action of pursuing and trying to know God and trying to follow him, that there is blessing there. And you can read all throughout the Psalms. You can read through Matthew 5 of the many ways in which God blesses his children. And man, hasn't God blessed you in so many ways? We, we don't often think about it. We think about the hard times. We think about the troubles. But man, when I think back on my life, I can think of so many times when just trying to follow God, when just trying to do my best, trying to live out that traditional identity even, 
I felt like, man, I'm, I'm all alone. I'm not doing enough. But God promises his blessing to those who are looking to him for the answers and who keep on looking to him for the answers. So how do we grow? If the seed of temptation becomes sin that brings forth a fruit of death, how do we not have that happen, James? He says, it's all about God's word and God's truth in your life. You need to realize the, the seed that's been planted, realize that God's word is important and life-changing. It's able to save your souls. It is the gift from God that is perfect in every way and that he doesn't change. And so that perfect gift that he's given you isn't going to go away. And then he says, okay, but there's going to be some hindrances that you'll need to weed out. You need to be quick to listen to God's word and not just to be speaking so much that you can't ever hear God talking to you. And if you have that anger or that bitterness that you refuse to give to God, that's going to uh, really crush the growth that God wants to see happen in your life. He says, so take off all the old garments of, of wickedness, of moral impurity, of the abundance of wickedness that's in the world, and instead receive with humility, because we don't want to admit we're wrong, receive with humility the word that God implanted in you and realize it's able to save your souls. It, God wants to make you new. He says, but allow God's word to write a living poem of God's grace in your life. Don't just hear the word and do nothing about it. Because that's like looking in a mirror and doing absolutely nothing about it. But if you look into God's word, you look in, intently and you, and you peer in and continue to do that, realizing the liberty that you now have in Christ you will be blessed even in that action. You want to grow as a believer? You want to grow into maturity as a Christian? It's all about God's word. It's all about allowing him to write a living poem of grace with your life. Three questions and then we'll be done. Are you appreciating God's salvation and his work? Are you allowing anything to hinder your spiritual growth? And are you fostering spiritual growth in your life by being in God's word and then living it out? God didn't leave us in the dark. He didn't say, man, I really hope you, you get mature. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but good luck. He gave us the exact blueprint of, hey, you wanna be a mature believer? You want to grow? You don't wanna fall to temptation? Pay attention to his word that gospel that saved you, and now we are called to live it out in our everyday lives. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.